This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CropLife America, providing crop protection products to assist farmers in sustainably producing a safe and ample food, fiber, and fuel supply for the world. Learn more at CropLifeAmerica.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with USMEF's Dan Hallstrom next. The Environmental Protection Agency's high review standards help keep Americans safe. The agency's rigorous review process sets the standard for protecting the public and environment. That's why only 1 in 10,000 pesticides make the journey from the lab to the field. In fact, on average, it takes more than 11 years to develop data for and move fully through the EPA approval process for pesticides. Through federal preemption, EPA helps keep millions of Americans safe by setting standards and creating uniform labels and packaging for pesticides. Learn more by visiting croplifeamerica.org slash federal pesticide regulation. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Despite logistical challenges from a strained national transportation infrastructure, high prices, a strong U.S. dollar, and high input costs, global sales of U.S. red meat are on a tremendous pace for the first 10 months of the year. Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, says pork sales are very strong and beef exports are on a record pace. On the beef side, we're, we're already pretty much at a record now or very close to it, so it'll be an easy record for the year. We're up 4% in volume, but... Uh, uh, on the beef side, uh, but we're up, you know, almost 20% on value. So, um, broad-based growth on the on the beef side has been the, the theme most of the year, and uh, you know, the last data for October was no different. Uh, we had several uh, markets contributing. On the pork side, um, we are down, but still going to be one of our top three mar- uh, years ever uh, in exports, and we're down primarily due to China's uh, numbers being off. Although that was mainly in the first half of the year. Now in the second half of the year, as we predicted, uh, the year-on-year numbers were actually up into China. So, uh, And one of the stories, uh, well, there's really two big stories on the pork side. One's Mexico, and the other one's variety meats, and uh, they're both uh, setting records. So overall, uh, I would say 2022 is going to end up, uh, it'll be a record on beef, and it'll be one of the best years ever on pork. Dan, what about the top markets? Have they changed? Has there been a shuffling of that? On the beef side, a little bit. Um, you know, Japan and Korea are still two of our top markets, uh, and China has entered into that fold uh, in the top three. Um, we all know what's going on uh, since 2020 on, on you know beef into China with improved access to the Phase One agreement with China. So. As, it, as China relates to the beef industry, it's been a pretty good story um, and continues to be today. But, uh, you know, the, the beauty of what's going on the last couple of years on the beef side is that it's not only China. I mean, you look at markets like Korea, they continue to set records and grow. Uh, we're up 4% year-to-date on Korea off of last year's record. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, markets like uh, the Middle East region in general, uh, up uh, significantly, and a lot of that growth is muscle cuts. Uh, you look at the ASEAN region, 
Philippines in particular and Vietnam, uh, considerable growth. Colombia is another one. So the beef side's got a lot of markets contributing, and as does pork, and that's really one of the keys, I think, from a strategy standpoint. So then thinking about the value of the U.S. dollar to other currencies, it's almost surprising to me that pork sales have held up and that beef sales have done so well given the value of our currency compared to the other currencies of our customers. Exactly right, Jeff. I mean, and and we were worried about October because October, uh, shipments in October, that was sort of the height of the devaluation of uh, the yen and the South Korean won against the U.S. dollar. It's since come back a bit stabilized. It's still very strong, but not as strong as it was. So, yeah, it is a bit amazing when you look at... uh, uh, starting with uh, with beef, you look. We were we were up just a little bit in Japan in October. We were up ten percent in October in Korea. China was up twenty percent. So the Asian markets did quite well despite a very strong U.S. dollar. And really, it was a similar type of discussion on the pork side. This is an amazing stat here. For uh, pork to Korea in October, we had 12,500 tons, up 25% over 10,000 tons in the previous year. That caught us a little bit by surprise because we figured uh, there'd be more of an impact there. But I think it's a testament to just how strong demand is as these markets continue to develop. There was a period of time that shipping was a major problem. In fact, I think it still is. Uh, we continue to face labor challenges at Packers. And then there's also the question of the supply of meat. What have we seen in, in terms of the U.S. keeping up with the product that might be demanded? Uh, good point, Jeff. Um, and, yes, a year ago at this time, it was a major problem. I mean, there, there was congestion in major ports like Long Beach, uh, major ports in China. You couldn't get enough containers. Freight rates were just all over the board. Um, some of that volatility has stabilized, uh, which is the good news. Uh, containers are more available. Um, now, the, the stabilization of the volatility of the rates, the bad news is they stabilized at much higher rates. So it's still very much an inflationary environment. So it's better than it was, but it's by no means back to normal. Um, labor is a shortage. We still have a pending West Coast longshoreman uh, contract that has not been settled yet. Uh, that's not atypical. I mean, it expired in July, and typically it takes several months to get it worked out. But uh, that's that's kind of sitting in the background here, and we cannot afford to have any kind of disruption on the West Coast. Uh, you know, over 50% of our exports go going to Asia go through the West Coast. So, you know, there are concerns out there, but but I think overall, um, year on year, uh, the situation has improved, which is good news. Are there markets you see that are growing or that have uh, exceptional potential uh, for either beef or pork or both? Oh, without a doubt. That's the Honestly, that's the really exciting part of what we do is to watch some of these markets uh, develop. And I'll give you several examples. One is Colombia. Ten years ago or 12 years ago, back in about 2010-11, we started talking a lot with our exporters and with our uh, uh, pork industry leaders um, about investing more time and money into Colombia. And... um, and so on the pork side, we started to see dramatic growth, you know, back in 2012 and 13 and, and still today. Um, 
The beef side came along a little later, uh, about 2015-16, we started seeing more and more uh, demand for beef. And, and this is a typical maturation process. As these markets evolve, middle classes emerge, they're always kind of, the first thing they want to do is get a higher quality of food, of feedstuffs. You know, maybe they go from, you know, grains, you know, rice, and then they want to try poultry, and then they go from poultry to pork, and then they get to pork, and then they want to try something uh, higher priced and higher quality like beef. That's what we're seeing in Colombia. So it's uh, it's a 10 or 12-year process in this case, but we're looking at going from a 30 or $40 million market to a $400 million market for beef and pork in 10 years. There's other examples, you know, Philippines, Vietnam, um, you know, Peru. Uh, I could go on. Uh, Africa has several countries that are at the very beginning stages, places like Angola and Ghana. So I think that's the exciting part about what we do and, and what we get to see on a daily basis is there's a lot of markets that fall into that category you mentioned of potentially emerging over the next five to ten years. Well, Mother Nature hasn't been kind uh, to the U.S., and it hasn't been kind to, to uh, farmers around the world. What about competition? Uh, at, at one time, we, we were certainly uh, in a race with Australia, in a race with other portions uh, and other producers of the world. What's happened to our competition, and how do we stack up? You know, the beauty of what we do uh, in adding value, what we do, I'm talking about the industry um, on exports, is adding value. And we're not the only country that's figured that out, far from it. Um, Australia, very uh, formidable competitor. Uh, they've been going through a drought uh, back two, three years ago, and now now they have plenty of rain, and, and we're going to see more volume coming out of Australia going into 2023. Um, you know, so that's just. But they're a very, very good competitor. Uh, Brazil, another competitor. Uh, on the pork side, well, of course, Brazil is pork and beef, but on the pork side, the EU is always our, our largest competitor um, uh, in most markets around the world. But the one thing I will say is that, um, for the most part, um, demand is growing at such a clip globally that in some ways there's there's room for for a lot of people um, and we have a very unique perspective in terms of our uh, grain feeding um, you know our product on the beef side and pork but especially on the beef side uh, is different from most of our global competitors you know one of the largest bovine exporters in the world is India but it's really buffalo meat that's very old and very tough and you know it, it goes into institutional it doesn't have anything to do from a competition standpoint of what we do so it's about understanding the markets. We don't, we're not targeting every consumer in every market. We're targeting the ones that want the high quality. And, uh, uh I think that model works very well. And, uh, yeah, sure. We can't rest on our laurels because everyone realizes the potential value in exports. But, uh, I think we're sitting in a really, really good place. Does it cost you sleep at night of what's happening with the central banks around the globe? Uh, inflation and the fear of recession? Without a doubt. I've been, you know, personally, I, we have regular staff meetings with our foreign offices, with our domestic office. But in our, our calls with all of our foreign offices, first question I ask is, tell me about spending power. I mean, everything's going up. At what point does the percentage of disposable income spent on food begin to suffer? And consequently, that's where our product is is positioned. And uh, you know, we're seeing 
some cracks in the armor in some countries, but generally the answer is it hasn't uh, shifted yet. And uh, that surprised us a bit through 2022. Uh, still con- concerns me today because nothing goes up forever. But uh, honestly, I think it's a testament to our quality, our reputation. We're, we're the global standard in safety. I think these are all points that uh, have taken decades to establish, uh, image and reputation-wise, and I think we're seeing some benefit today. Dan, this is a paradox, but don't you find it interesting that in your business we're seeing growth, we're seeing the middle class grow, you're able to find ways to ship uh, from variety meats to muscle cuts. So on one side of the ledger we're talking about the growth of the middle class, but then an equal headline over the past year has been that story of hunger in the world and those that uh, are challenged to find their next meal. Well, I think that's a great point, and uh, and that's a that's a, a good example of what we're, we're dealing with. There, it would be Africa. Um, you know, outside of South Africa, a lot of these markets fall in that category. And you know, one of the diversification. Um, results that we've seen on variety meats, let's take beef livers, for example. We've been unrealistically reliant on one market for quite a while. Ever since Russia annexed Crimea and and trade relations were cut off, we've had one major market for beef livers, and that's Egypt. And any time you have one customer and only one customer, it can get dicey. And and you don't have a lot of competition. I'll I'll use that example. as we, We now have uh, we, the industry, are exporting to probably a dozen countries with for livers. I mean, uh, you've got places like South Africa, Gabon, Angola, Congo, um, Peru, uh, Colombia, Mexico, um, so I, Canada. I think I think the uh, I think that's where the devil's in the details because a place like Egypt or Morocco or Peru or uh, Angola. They're not so interested today in the middle meats uh, on the beef side. You know, a lot of their uh, income class, they, they can only afford a certain price point, but yet they want to have nutrition. They want to have the, the nutrients from a beef liver. That is their middle meats. And this is, this is what our industry does a good job at, is uh, positioning the right product in the right market, even though we might not consider it a premium cut. A thing like a beef liver is a premium cut in a market like Egypt, Peru, Angola. You spend a lot of time in the air and working with customers. And I know that you were in Japan in September and you were in Japan just a few days ago. So then the question I'd be interested in is following COVID and 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 moving deeper through 22 and, and further away, hopefully, from that event, how has the consumer reacted? Yes, um, yeah, th- this is a good point. Uh, COVID here in the U.S. for the most part has been in the rearview mirror for uh, a year or, or longer, right? And uh, that's not the case in Asia. Japan and Korea uh, lifted their most recent emergency declaration only at the end of April of this year. So what is that, five, five months ago? Um, so, you know, it's very much top of mind. So I was in Japan in August and again in September. And I have to tell you, I, I can't tell you how many trips I've made to Japan in my career, but it's a lot, or in my career, but it's a lot. 
Um, when I landed at Narita and took the train into Tokyo Station back in August and September, it was it was eerie. Narita was empty. You had to have a special visa to come in. There were no tourists. It was it was. I walked through Narita and there was no lines, which that never happens. And then I get to Tokyo Station and I only saw seven or eight people. And Tokyo Station is the largest one of the largest train stations in the world. And I just I walked around downtown near our office. Nobody was out. Nobody was about. Um, it was very eerie. Um, so that was a concern because, you know, the retail business, the online business is booming. Food service is getting hammered. Um, so I was back last week, as you mentioned, and uh, I was happy. For once in my life, I was very happy to stand in line for an hour because it was good to see Narita busy again. And uh, Tokyo Station was almost back to its usual congested self. And downtown Tokyo near our office was relatively busy. So this is uh, – I'm optimistic because, uh, you know, nothing stays down forever. And I think I think we're going to have a little bit of a tailwind coming on demand at food service uh, into 2023 as as people get more comfortable with being out and about and uh, – uh, and we see that rebound at food service. You mentioned Mexico. Mexico becoming more important as a customer for U.S. red meat. Mexico this year has set huge records, uh, you know, on the pork side, uh, not only in volume, but value. Um, it's just been the cornerstone, uh, I'm talking about for the whole year. And back in the early part of 2022, we had months where China's volume was down 70, 80 percent uh, because of the records from a year ago. Um, but Mexico took up a large chunk of that delta, and uh, and demand is still good today. Um, so it's really turned in, and the beef side, while down a bit, is still pretty strong as well. It's number four or five market. So in Mexico, 20, 30 years ago, you know, um, it was it was a challenge. It's turned into one of our most reliable markets in the world, right along there in the conversation with Korea and Japan. So, uh, yeah, um, the the USMCA relationship between Canada, U.S., Mexico um, is one of the most valuable ones that we have uh, from a trade standpoint. So, yeah, we're very fortunate to have a, a good relationship with Mexico. Well, I don't want to be a fun vampire, but if I'm talking to the Corn Growers Association, they are quite concerned, as is Secretary Vilsack, about Mexico's plans to ban GMO corn imports starting January 1, 2024. Um, and they are concerned about the USMCA holding up. Is there fear on your part if that becomes a trade spat? And I know we're talking and speculation, but at the same time, that's a customer. Yeah, without a doubt, it's a concern. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think that uh, in the end, um, I'm optimistic or hopeful that we have a good enough relationship between the two countries with a with a benchmark agreement as the base that uh, we can work out something reasonable. I know, uh, I know, there's a lot of info in the press that indicates, you know, over here there's been some progress, and over here we kind of step back a few steps, but. Yeah, we're certainly hopeful. You know, the feed grains uh, side of things is just as important as the meat side. It's all tied together. So yes, uh, you know, we're very uh, we're very much in agreement with their concerns under the GMO issue. And uh, like I said, hopefully. Uh, Cooler heads will prevail, and Mexico will be more reasonable in the long term. Dan, I know that you are limited in what you're able to to talk about with regard to policy, and I'm not asking you to lobby, 
But I'll share with you a conversation I've had with other commodity group leaders who have said, with regard to the 23 Farm Bill, yes, there are a number of things that they'd like to see to the safety net, but the one thing they would really love to see is finally an increase in spending for uh, market access program and foreign market development funds, saying they've been stuck at zero for a long time. And when I say stuck at zero, they've been stuck at the same level for a long time. Yeah, for almost uh, 20 years, and uh, yeah, we we are definitely in support of that as well within the, the new farm bill uh, structure, and um, and hopefully we can get it done. I mean, I think uh, the history uh, of the MAP uh, and FMD programs, of which, both of which we get uh, some of our funding through. Um, the history would indicate uh, there's been several studies done across many different commodities, but in general, for every dollar spent, you're looking at 20 plus dollars return in export uh, payback. So uh, I don't think there's any doubt that it's uh, it's a good investment. Uh, unfortunately, there's so many moving parts in the farm bill that you just you can't focus on just one area. But uh, hopefully, people understand that this specific area is a good one one that's growing over time as we see uh, a lot of potential across a lot of different commodities in the export world long term. Recently on this program, Doug Winter, the chair of the U.S. Soy Export Council, said he believed that there would be a day that sustainability, the sustainability story, might be as important as the value of the product that we sell. Is there a sustainability element in meat export sales yet? Um, yeah, it is, it's coming quickly. It depends on where you're talking in the world, but there's no doubt that uh, that this is part of telling our story the right way. And uh, I've long, in the international markets, I've long said that we don't do a good enough job of telling our story. Uh, we, some of our global competitors tell a story that's not quite accurate about U.S. Uh, production and uh, kind of paint us as uh, factory farms only interested in, in large volumes. And the reality is that we probably made the most uh, inroads from uh, doing more with less standpoint than anyone in the world. And uh, this is a focus that we have working with uh, the beef industry, working with the pork industry, working with the grain groups of uh, accurately reflecting um, these improvements in our production practices from a sustainability standpoint. So, you know, maybe it's not as high profile in general as it is here, but that's an opportunity internationally because it will be. So uh, without a doubt, this is probably on our top of our list of things to do a better job of uh, and pick a market, whether it's Japan, whether it's Mexico, uh, whether it's a place like Colombia, eventually this will be top of mind everywhere if it's not already. Dan, I don't know that thank you is enough uh, for the time that you and the staff of the Meat Export Federation spend uh, on the road in the air and, and working with customers to create opportunities for the U.S. meat industry, but uh, your success is so vital to the strength of our industry. We want to thank you for taking time in a busy season to spend with us here on Open Mic. Dan's Open Mic, you've been here before and you know today that you get the last word. Well, Jeff, thank you for the invite to speak with you today. Um, uh, I appreciate it, and we're always open to uh, sitting down with you. Um, yeah, I think my uh, my last comments revolve around the fact that uh, this is not just USMEF doing this. Uh, it is an industry-wide uh, 
effort of cooperation and collaboration, uh, you know, from the, from the corn groups, the soybean groups, uh, to, of course, the pork industry, beef industry, lamb industries, and, uh, you know, working together, uh, telling our story uh, in, a, in a collaborative, unified way. Uh, it's paid dividends in the past, and it will continue to do so. So a big thank you to all your listeners, uh, especially the producers out there that are the ones that are producing this high-quality product that, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, is, is relatively easy to market because we have such a good product. So thank you. Our thanks to Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Bike is brought to you by CropLife America, providing crop protection products to assist farmers in sustainably producing a safe and ample food, fiber, and fuel supply for the world. Learn more at CropLifeAmerica.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.